Hi, I'm Steve Goldstein, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. Everyone should be treated the same under the law. That is a cornerstone of our republic. But it is also true that we as a nation have to be very careful before we would allow a successor president and his administration to investigate his or her predecessor for crimes. We drove a stake through the heart of the McCain machine. I felt like I had to wear garlic around my neck when I did that. As far as Senator Sinema, she also represents a very swingy state, one that was straightforwardly red a couple of years ago. And she also has a pretty strong backbone when she doesn't want to carry out some sort of policy that the rest of the Democrats want. So that makes her also, you know, very difficult to persuade sometimes. In Arizona, we've got wildfires that are worse every year and a drought uh, that's been going on for 20 years. And, you know, this is uh, you know, affected by climate change. So this is, this is an opportunity. And with us to talk about Governor Ducey's support for Kerry Lake, the FBI search warrant of former President Trump's house and more, our Lorna Romero-Ferguson of Elevate Strategies. Welcome back. Good morning. And also Roy Herrera, attorney and former congressional staffer. Roy, are you with us? I'm with you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, good to have you with us. Um, Roy, I'm going to start with you because of the fact that you are, in fact, an attorney, which is very important with this <laughs> next discussion. So uh, Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, they have not been thrilled, obviously, with the whole 2020, the so-called recount, et cetera. And now uh, the county is in essence, suing, for lack of a better term, uh, or counter-suing, I guess I should say, um, Carrie Lake, Mark Fincham, and their attorneys and saying, you owe us money for basically filing a frivolous lawsuit. What do you make of this? Is this just more of the same sort of we're back in the mud? Well, I mean, it's an unprecedented situation um, where you have, you know, the county seeking sanctions, uh, you know, against the plaintiffs in this case for basically, but basically by saying that the plaintiffs are lying, which is true. Um, I mean, we are this lawsuit that we're talking about here has to do with false allegations related to vote tabulation machines. And the plaintiffs had not been able to produce any evidence that there's anything wrong with these machines. And we all know that there's nothing wrong with these machines. And now the county is fighting back, uh, you know, for the integrity of its own elections to say, hey, you know, you can't just lie here. And if you continue to lie, then you should face a financial penalty. Clearly, the political pressure has not you know, made the plaintiffs change their mind, but maybe monetary pressure will. And I think that's the strategy here. Lorna, we're starting early in this segment. Sorry, talking about uh, the 2020 and whatnot. But the fact that Carrie Lake and Mark Finch <laughs> both won their primaries indicates that this is going to be an issue. So what do you make of ultimately the supervisors continuing not to back down? This group has not uh, been wallflowers for sure. No, they definitely haven't. And I just think it's still ridiculous that we're talking about the 2020 election and still litigating it. I mean, we are months away from a 2022 general election, and this is still ongoing. Um, You know, it just goes to show, and yes, Carrie Lake and Mark Fincham were successful in their primaries. And a big reason for that was because they talked about the 2020 election, right? And um, um, but here's the thing. In a, in a few short weeks, they're going to have early ballots go out for a general election where the majority of the electorate in, in this situation don't want to hear about 2020 anymore. They want to talk about the economy. They want to talk about their communities. And so 
to have these litigations ongoing and to have this battle still between, you know, the majority Republican County Board of Supervisors and Republican, you know, candidates for statewide office isn't helpful for this whole let's unite and win in, in November rhetoric we've been hearing lately. So, Roy, on the other side of that, right, you have Supervisor Tom Galvin, a Republican who was reelected to a seat um, last week in a conservative leaning district. And he had opponents, right, who were, you know, denying or questioning the 2020 results. Is this going to be split? Is this more nuanced? than watching Carrie Lake and Mark Fincham get their primaries won? Well, I mean, I do think that the results with Supervisor Galvin were one of the positive developments on primary night, but one of the only ones, unfortunately, at least when it came to how the Republican primaries went. Because as you know, Lauren indicated, I mean, the Trump-backed candidates won in all of these primaries at a statewide level. If you look at the state legislature, a bunch of Trump-backed uh, Trump endorsed candidates won and defeated, you know, folks like Rusty Bowers uh, in, in legislative races. And so across the board, I think we saw the Trump endorsement me- being very meaningful in Republican primaries. And the question I have is the same one that, that that Lorna posed, which is to say that now we're going into the general election. Now, in order to win, particularly at a statewide level, you have to get independents to vote for you. You know, you have to appeal to a broader electorate. And the question I have is whether, you know, these these Trump endorsed candidates are going to even attempt to do that, because so far in the last week and a half or so, I haven't seen any attempt by Carrie Lake, um, at least in in news reports, to try to broaden her base. If anything, she's just doubling down on what was successful in the primary for her. And Lorna used to work for Senator McCain, of course. And though he was censured by his own party, often for his stance on things like immigration and immigration Mm -hmm. reform, um, John McCain was a winner and always came out ahead on these things. Does it make sense for Carrie Lake to say that she had to to stab the McCain thing in the heart. And I mean, just how does that get independence who John McCain used to attract? Yeah, um, it doesn't get independence. And it was a ridiculous and unfortunate comment. You know, my question always is, why even mention Senator McCain? You know, he has passed for many years at this point. Last time I checked, he's not running against Carrie Lake. Um, and he did win every election in the state of Arizona for 30 years. And so um, to appeal to a broader audience and to still attack the McCain family and the McCain name doesn't make any sense. And so it would behoove Carrie Lake to just stop talking about John McCain and focus on the issues that she's running about and focus on her opponent. Lorna, do you think, um, I mean, I guess this is reading the crystal ball a little bit, but but were John McCain on the ticket today, would he play the same way as he did when he was around? Oh, 100%. I mean, I don't think he would um, feel any pressure to change his stance or his position or who he is as a human being um, because of the politics of the day. Um, I think you would see him similar to like a Rusty Bowers or other folks who um, were courageous and stood up for principle. Um, and I think that's what we're, we're lacking in Republican politics right now or the people who are willing to stand up. You've seen this in, in lower level, but I think people who are more high profile to just stand up and say, no, this actually isn't correct. No, this is wrong. No, we actually need to have more civility in politics. No, we need to focus on the issues. No, we're not just reliant on Donald Trump as the Republican Party, but we haven't had somebody high profile enough to do that and kind of lead the conversation into a future direction. Well, Roy, going back briefly to the Board of Supervisors in Maricopa County then, would Democrats be heading for that red wave that I'm sure the party is not thrilled about the possibility of 2022 if more Republicans were actually acting like the supervisors were as opposed to saying things like Kerry Lake and Mark Fincham? Would this be kind of a slam dunk year for Republicans that may not turn out that way because of candidates like Kerry Lake and Mark Fincham? I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that as a result of the Trump 
slate of candidates winning at the statewide level, that this increases the chances for Democrats to win in those respective races, even going against, you know, as, as you mentioned, history, right? I mean, normally this would be a bad year for Democrats since they run Washington and President Biden's approval ratings are, are pretty low. Um, so it should be a year that is good for Republicans, but because of who they nominated and the, the sort of extreme nature of these candidates and their rhetoric, I think it does provide an opportunity, and I think there's some optimism on the Democratic side that we could win any of these races, including the governor's race. And I know, you know, with the RGA is still going to spend $11 million, but now we're seeing national Democratic money actually coming in for that race as well, which I think hasn't happened since Janet Napolitano. So there's definitely optimism on the Democratic side as a result of the primary. Yeah, Lorna, are we creating a false narrative here, or is there really the possibility because of those Republican candidates? Again, there would be... I mean, most people think if Karen Taylor Robeson were the nominee, the Katie Hobbs climb would be extremely uphill. Maybe it's still uphill because of Republican advantage, but mm -hmm. there's also the feeling of, well, a lot of people might either sit out or vote for the Democrat, which they would normally do. You know, it really depends on how these Republicans run their campaigns for the next two months. Um, we saw their strategy was successful in the primary. You have to give them credit. They, they won. Um, but again, them they, they need to be consulting with their teams to figure out, okay, we have the Trump base locked down. What do we need to do to appeal to a broader base? And until that happens, I mean, there's an opportunity for Democrats. Um, that's why you see them trying to paint Republicans as extremists and talk about abortion because they realize that's their one window of opportunity to be successful in November. Uh, on the other side, though, I mean, Democrats, I mean, even if they are going to paint Republicans as extremists and Carrie Lake and Fincham don't pivot, it's still not a slam dunk for them, right? They have no real accomplishments to point to, and they don't have the strongest candidates. And so it's real. It's not. It's not in the bank for anybody. But I would say the Republicans have the upper hand right now, and it would just make a lot of sense for them to focus on the winning issues and kind of put the Trump 2020 election behind them as we focus on 2022. So, Roy, Lorna brought up abortion there, which I think is maybe a wild card here because of the Supreme Court decision. Do Democrats see that as something to to hit on here, to harp on, to campaign on, especially given what public opinion looks like given on this issue? Well, I mean, so I, I agree, totally agree and, and disagree a little bit with my friend Lorna. I mean, I, I'm not going to say that there haven't been any accomplishments. I think that's <laughs> not true. Um, and I think uh, the Inflation Reduction Act this week, which Senator Sinema, Senator Kelly voted for, I think is a significant uh, investment in, in our future, but uh, and also will reduce health care costs. But to, to your point, I mean, I do think abortion is going to be the issue that Democrats are going to run on. And we saw the Kansas, you know, last week, which was surprising. Um, and I think that's given a lot of uh, strength to the argument that, you know, reproductive rights um, is going to be something that Democrats can run and win on. And, you know, I look at like something like the attorney general's race, for example, where Democrats are running Chris Mays, a woman who, you know, is pro-choice um, and has been very clear about her position on that issue. And she's going to make that an issue against her opponent, Abe Humida, who my understanding believes in a you know, total ban. Um, so, so I think that's going to be something that, you know, to the extent that there's ever been worries about turnout on the Democratic side, it's going to be that issue that I think Democrats are looking for or looking to in order to drive turnout in November. Lorna, what do you think there? Is abortion going to be a wild card here? Yes. I mean, especially for uh, swing voters, it mm -hmm. definitely can be. And so but but here's the problem with with Democrats. And yes, abortion is an opportunity for them to kind of uh, pull to, to one, rally their base. Right. And make sure they actually turn out in November and two, to bring some of those independent or even college educated women voters, you know, towards their ticket. But 
here's here's what happens sometimes, and, and I love your boy. Sometimes the Democrats overplay their hand, right? And they go too far with this, right? So we saw the day after the primary election, abortion, 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 right? And I think it's, there should, people are just going to be inundated. And the reason why they're talking about abortion is because they don't want to talk about the economy. They don't want to talk about inflation. They don't want to talk about rising prices, which are the issues that I think everyday voters are thinking about every single day, right? I, you know, I, I'm sure quite a few of them are really um, motivated by the abortion issue, but I don't think it's top of mind for them every day when they're sitting at their kitchen table. The economy is right now, and Democrats want to avoid it like the plague, and so that's why you just see them doubling down on abortion, and I'm not sure if that's going to be successful for them. Our guests today, attorney and former congressional staffer Roy Herrera and Lorna Romero-Ferguson of Elevate Strategies. Lorna, just a little bit more on Carrie Lake, I promise, just a little bit more. <laughs> so Governor Ducey sort of came out with an endorsement, kind of. Um, was it too tepid to have any sort of impact? Was it one of those where he was sort of felt like, yes, I want to have unity, but this is really tough for me, but I'm still going to endorse her? I, I think it was genuine. Uh, you know, Governor Ducey has run for statewide office numerous times in contested primaries, nonetheless. And so he knows the name of the game. People, you know, they, they pick their horse early in the race. Sometimes they win. Sometimes they lose. And, you know, when the primary is said and done, mo- most of the time people, if it's a, you know, if it's a friendly primary, people coalesce and they rally behind the candidate, right? And so that's what Governor Ducey did. You know, he supported Karen Taylor Robeson. She was not successful. And so he's going to support the nominee. He's also the head of RGA and they're investing significant significant dollars in Arizona. So I think it was the right thing for him to do. It shouldn't have been surprising to anybody. Is he going to be on the campaign trail with her? I don't, I don't know. Remains to be seen. Um, but I think it was the right message for him to send as, the, you know, the, the current governor in the state um, and the head of RGA. What do you think about this, Roy? I mean, this was maybe not the friendliest of primaries, though. I mean, like, he came out and called, like, a, a fake. He said she was misleading voters about the 2020 election. I mean, he, he he played his hand pretty pretty heavily here. That's right. I mean, Carrie Lake was critical of Ducey throughout the entire primary. Um, but I'm not surprised. I mean, I agree with Lorna that this occurred. Um, I mean, the history of, of Governor Ducey and, and this kind of thing, it, you know, leads us to this, right, which is to say that, you know, his position politically has been that even the most extreme Republican is going to be better than any Democrat, right? And we saw that with the Wendy Rogers uh, work that he did to help her get elected. So I'm not surprised by this. Um, the bigger question to me is is kind of what we talked about in the prior segment, which is does Carrie Lake change her messaging and focus of the campaign going forward? Can Governor Ducey convince her to do that and talk about things that may be more friendly or politically advantageous to them, like inflation and things like that, as opposed to just relitigating 2020 again, because I do think, and I think public polling has shown that Arizonans don't want to hear about that. I mean, that's just not something that they're interested in. I think I think it's going to be very difficult, though, because I anticipate that President Trump or former President Trump, I should say, is probably going to be in Arizona a lot uh, going into November. So it's going to be hard to change that narrative away from of, of Trump. Well, and Lorna, speaking of that, coming this weekend. Ron DeSantis of Florida is coming on behalf of Kerry Lake and Mark Fincham. Uh, DeSantis has, you know, one could say a mixed record. There are times he's he's sort of pro environment. He's mm-hmm. Florida's a complicated state. Let's put it that yeah. way. Very large with a lot of different interests there. Um, but Turning Point USA is sponsoring this event. Charlie Kirk, a little bit controversial, um, <laughs> to say the least. Um, what what does this do for the possibility of Kerry Lake changing her message when Turning Point is sponsoring the event? I. 
<laughs> I, I don't think we're going to see anything different at this rally event, whatever we want to call it, that Turning Point is hosting. Um, but it does it does present an opportunity if they did want to provide a broader message to an audience where they're going to have earned media. This would be a great opportunity to do that. Um, my fear is given the, who the host is and who, what the audience is and they like that uh, controversial red meat, I don't know if they're going to be able to help themselves, right? And so um, – and so if they do stick to the same narrative that they had in the primary, I, I don't think this is a good kicking off point for the general election necessarily. But, you know, they could surprise us and they could focus on the key issues that we've been talking about. And it could be an opportunity for them to really just start broadening their message and kind of shifting the focus. So we'll wait and see. Um, you know, I know we've been focused on Lake and Fincham, but somebody who has been changing their narrative has been Blake Masters. We mm-hmm. saw that immediately after the primary. And so he's obviously been paying attention to the polling. He sees what he needs to do to be successful in the state. And so um, he's kind of guiding the way. And it would make sense for the other statewides to kind of follow that lead. Laura, one more question on this. I mean, so DeSantis, like, yes, a supporter of Trump's, but also kind of, as Steve said, has created his own political identity. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of talk about this, the new right, the new conservative movement. Is this is this the model? And and. and and what would that look like here? Um, that's a great question. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's just so much diversity in the, in the Republican Party, right? And so, I mean, I, to me, it's a question of any time you bring someone from out of state who's not a current or former president, mm-hmm. I always question who's the audience that they appeal to, right? Because, I mean, probably the the diehard Trump, Trump supporters, they know who Ron DeSantis is. Maybe they follow him and they get excited about the things he does. You know, other voters, the swing voters that we're supposed to be attracting in a in a general, I don't think they know who Ron DeSantis is. They probably do not pay attention to what's happening in Florida on a day-to-day basis. So I don't know if that it's going to help broaden whatsoever. This whole new conservative Republican or new Republican Party, old, whatever. I think people just like to rebrand whatever branch of the Republican Party it is, right? It used to be Tea Party, you know, 10 years ago. Now it's the America first. Now it's this new Republican. You know, there's always going to be diversity within the Republican Party. And it's just always trying to figure out those ebbs and flows every cycle. Roy, not that you ever take it off, but it's time to put the attorney cap back on. <laughs> We're going to spend the last few minutes talking about the uh, the FBI serving search warrants at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, president Trump, former President Trump. So we keep all of us keep saying President Trump. Sorry, former President Trump. So we talked with uh, former U.S. Attorney Paul Charlton earlier this week, and he weighed in on this and the significance of it. Um, Tell me how significant this is to you, considering as well the potential political overtones on this, because even if the DOJ and Merrick Garland never talked to the White House about this, which maybe they didn't, it's going to come across that way to folks who are defending former President Trump. What do you make of how this was carried out? Well, I mean, it is a, a another sort of extraordinary moment. I mean, we've never seen a search warrant executed on a you know former president's residence before. And I mean, I was a former member of the Department of Justice before, and I have some understanding that with something this sensitive, uh, politically speaking and legally speaking, this would have gone all the way to the top of the Department of Justice. And I believe the Attorney General confirmed that he signed off on this before they went to the judge, probably also went to the FBI director as well. Um, and then, of course, it went to a judge and the judge, you know, this is a search warrant. So there had to have been a probable cause that a crime was committed. Uh, so the judge believed there was. Uh, and, and now we are where we are. And, you know, reports are coming out over the last day or so about what they've you know, found, uh, including, you know, uh, classified national security information about our nuclear weapon capabilities that was just you know, hanging out in Mar-a-Lago. Um, so it's an unprecedented situation. I do not think that they would have gone forward unless they believed that there was 
a real possibility that a crime was committed, and obviously there's probable cause for that, and that they were committed to pursuing that, which is why I think it's not a possibility that President Trump or those around him get indicted related to the mishandling of classified documents. Lorna, what do you think about this? I mean, obviously, this has ignited Trump's base, the loyalists who are now, you know, protesting, et cetera. But the broader Republican audience here, I mean, is this also something that would be concerning on that end? Or does this look like law and order from that point of view? You know, um, I'm conflicted on the issue because I, I and I appreciate Roy kind of going through the intricacies of what you know mm-hmm. the process is, and so you know from the standpoint of you know the DOJ and the FBI conducting their business how they typically would makes sense. The fact that it's a former president, there's a political tie to it, obviously, and the fact that you know we've had the January six investigations and all these other investigations into you know the Trump administration or the Trump organization, and so there's a certain segment of of, of American voters who believe that they that the federal government's unfairly targeting President Trump. That's what they think and they believe. And then President Trump got ahead of the narrative, you know, with his saying how he was raided and what's happening is unprecedented. And, you know, it's a political attack by his potential future, you know, opponent. And so I understand the FBI can't get out ahead of it, you know, when they're conducting it. Right. But I mean, it's not helpful from that messaging standpoint. You know, when when they unseal the documents and the information's out, some people might say based off of what, you know, the decision making was, OK, then this makes sense why the FBI and the DOJ did what they did. The Trump loyalists, it's not going to change their minds. They feel like he's being unfairly targeted and prosecuted. And so um, it's it's kind of a mess, you know, but I just think. Bottom line, I don't think people should be jumping to conclusions. We saw a lot of that happen as soon as it happened. So we just need to see how things unfold. But as Roy said, this is unprecedented. So I don't think anybody knows how to navigate these waters. Roy, it's a it's a cynical electorate, but to be overly insulting, which I probably shouldn't be, it's a fairly ill-informed electorate also when it comes to this. And most people are going to jump to the political conclusions of it. Does it make it that much harder for the FBI, for attorneys who are actually trying to do the right thing, who are not political implications, to actually carry out their work because people are going to be to feel like, well, of course, because it was former President Trump, that's why they're doing this. You know, I, it had to have been very difficult for the folks in the department that were working on this um, because of how sensitive this is. Uh, I will say with my experience in the department, you do have a, a variety of political you know, personal b- political beliefs, but everyone is united in sort of the overall mission of what the agency is designed to do. So I think even in that scenario, the the, the folks at the department and at the FBI did their job. And I think we're in kind of an interesting position because, you know, to, to Lorna's point, I mean, has said, you know, that this was illegal and this, you know, he was raided and, you know, this is shouldn't have happened. But I do think that the attorney general in his press conference yesterday was very smart in saying, you know, we're going to go to a judge and ask the judge to unseal the affidavit so people, the public can see this is the basis of why we did this. And if the former president wants to object, then he can object. Now, I suspect he will object, which, again, is going to be hypocritical. But I think that's what he's probably going to do because he doesn't want that out there. But it's going to put the ball in his court. And I do think, you know, bringing it back to the politics, I mean, in Arizona, there may be different versions of the Republican Party in other states. But in Arizona, we're going to get a very clear referendum, I think, on whether this is Trump's Republican Party in the state or not, because all of his candidates won in the primary. And we're going to see whether that kind of rhetoric and sort of allegiance to Trump can actually be successful in a state like Arizona. I'm dubious of that, but we're going to see in November. Learn the last few seconds. It, it it could be difficult. I mean, I know that, as you said, people are going to try to veer toward the middle, but it may be really difficult. 
Yeah, I mean, it's just the whole thing. I mean, it's just this is. Just, I mean, I just I don't have any words because so much has happened since the 2020 election, right? And we're going and like what we're still talking about now. Yeah, FBI raid, and I think at some point people are just going to tune out. I think mm. that I think we've, we're already getting there, right? So even not if, for this segment, though. Oh, <laughs> no, not at all. They're listening diligently to this, but I think people are just overwhelmed and they're over it, right? And so that's why I keep going back to the one thing to pull people back in is talking about the issues that impact them every single day. Mm. And so I, I don't know how much this FBI raid is going to move people because, again, it's not impacting their pocketbook every day. Lorna Romero, Ferguson of Elevate Strategies. I almost forgot the Ferguson. Sorry oh, about no that. worries. It's fine. And attorney and former congressional staffer Roy Herrera. Thank you both as always. Thanks, so. Thanks. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's big stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at the show at kjzz.org. I'm Steve Goldstein, and thanks for listening.